You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Hey, buenos dias. Where's Andrew? I don't know. We're early today, though. A little early, an hour. Oh, my God, my hair. Jesus. Hey, take me off camera for one second. I'm going to fix it really quick. Uh, okay. Give a show. There you go. Really fast. You look like you got a haircut. Yeah, I had to chop it up a, a little. It was oh getting boy. a little crazy, so right. it's a little wet from the shower this morning, but um, yeah, life's good. I got uh, some text messages from people to say, stay off the dating apps. There's a U.S. Uh, warning that's been going viral about uh, gringos in Colombia getting killed. There's a famous activist in um, the Twin Cities that uh, got ransomed for a couple thousand in Medellin and then left on the, the side of the street dead for two grand only. I thought you didn't need dating apps. You could do it all naturally. I don't need any of it. I'm a good boy. I'm just focused. No. Mm, yeah, I'm a uh, normal, good, good tourist. Good. But, uh, nice. things, are, things are getting a little wild in, in Colombia, so people are worried. But I think I'll be just fine. Yeah, I think I'd, uh, I'd, I'd watch out for that. I would actually take their advice. Listen, although we don't want to listen to many people. Did you hear that Aaron Rodgers got kicked off McAfee's podcast? No. Because of what he was saying about Jimmy Kimmel? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, that that takes a lot because McAfee was kind of one of those, hey, um, he's Andy. He's unapologetic. He says it the way it is. And, he's with uh, ESPN though, right? So he's got ESPN, yeah. ESPN got him. So kind of sad. Kind of sad. You can't have a voice, but whatever. We can. We're talking. No, Real no. estate radio hour. We give it to them. To them I know, straight. but I might, I might have to move and do my podcast with Aaron Rodgers. That would be nice. Yeah. A lot of, lot of views. Yeah. But yeah. Um, all right, let's kind of get into this while Andy gets out of bed. Uh, <laughs> talk about uh, what's happening over there. It's cold. Anything uh, new? Yeah, actually, the market's really good. We just had an open house on a, a new listing, nine hundred fifty thousand. Had 10, 10 groups through, seven legit three neighbors and that's typically what you'll find um kind of percentage wise whether or not you get 10 that's that's a lot but um the the fact that you're getting neighbors coming through is super important and i mean for for an agent you got to understand that too because you need to know what the heck's going on in that neighborhood um so you can answer their questions because they're there and uh they're obviously checking for the value of what their house is um, but being able to know more about whatever neighborhood you're in, because there's a lot of agents out there that'll sit in open houses of other people. So let's just say I have uh, listings and I get agents that will sit in my, my listings. Now we make them know everything about our house, but yet I tell them you got, you need to know about the neighborhood and, and what it is. And that's good for a potential buyer too. So if you're in a neighborhood and there's three, four people coming through that are, that are neighbors, um, and you know the values of that neighborhood are anywhere from let's just say 800 to uh, 1.4 million, and be able to kind of throw some um, facts out there. It's just going to help you a heck of a lot more. Hi, Andy. What up? Hey, man. Not much. What are you up to? <laughs> well, I'm tell you what. I'm going to tell Nick to. Um, remove me off the camera for a little bit and let you talk so I can f switch my shirt inside out again because it's not the right way. Yeah. You know, the big thing about starting at 7 a.m. is that you got to remember you start at 7 a.m. Uh, <laughs> we, You guys, I tell you, we get so busy sometimes with real estate, and that's the fun part of our show. We are not sitting here and scripting anything, obviously. We, uh, we're a couple real estate God, guys. I hope we're not. Jesus. Yeah, we, we are every week, we're real estate guys that do this for fun on the side to help people with resources. We try to bring you guys interesting topics or, you know, things that we think are unusual in our industry right now that may guide or help you. And so anyway, that's I why would actually, I would actually say yeah. you and I have been together for a long time. 
Yes. And for me, it's a good way in which to be able to talk to you and see you again. Because we're we work on opposite sides of the town. We don't yeah. I mean, we really we don't really get together off off video here. Uh, right. We used to get together every freaking Saturday. I mean, I saw you more than I'd see anyone, um, <laughs> which is really kind of sad in a way because it was only like once a week. But yeah, um, I don't know. And I think the other thing is, is that we can call each other out, you know, if, if it's kind of one of those things that Andy, you know, shake my head or yeah. Rooney, you know, you're you're going too far. Well, yeah. you know, I think that the, the facts are the facts, right? So it's like, if you want to know what's really going on with real real estate agents, that's kind of our thing, right? And it's like the old, uh, you know, sit there and act like we're some big shots or the, you know, the, we sell the most houses in the Twin Cities. The first thing I always do with this is when somebody leads with- that was, That's me. That's me, Andy. Oh, we, we have teams up in Blaine. And, and <laughs> yeah, like, no, you, no, you don't. I mean, okay. we have teams up in Blaine where there's like six teams saying, we're the number one team in Blaine. And I'm like, I run the numbers and no, you're not. And uh, number one team in Blaine in this brand or the number one team, the Twin Cities in this, you know, whatever. It's It very rarely ever is like the whole Twin Cities or the whole, because those are some staggeringly huge numbers. You, and anyway, so that's, yeah. Do you think that's um, more of, hey, we'll flip it and flop it any way we want to try to just get our opportunity to go in there or is that something that they use to be able to get the listing and i think it it kind of can go both ways so um it, if my marketing my my whole goal is just let me get a chance at bat yeah. i get a chance at bat i'm usually i, I hit usually pretty well mm -hmm. and so and i think sometimes when you have a team and it's just all about you know what kind of uh numbers uh right that you can get or how many agents you can get on your team to kind of raise that, that level, it gets yeah. you appointments and, you know, but sometimes and I, I get this because we have obviously the same thing in and around here and uh, these guys get appointments, but they can't convert them because well, I think it, yeah. they have no clue what they're doing. It's really right. sad. And I think the other thing that's a, we really have a weird dynamic, you know what I mean? It's like the, when you meet a client, a lot of times, even if they're a referral, you're still uh, the real estate agent is going on a job interview, right? And so you're going there to try to establish that you're you're credible to be hired, right? Which sometimes comes across as cockiness. Some like the mm -hmm. like the old real estate days, and they say first thing you got to do is go buy a brand new Cadillac. Mm -hmm. So you pull up and you have instant credibility because there was no real way to show other than you know success of hey, look at the nice car I'm driving how how do I rank or am I successful in my industry? So they'd have the new catalog or they would dress really fancy, right? They'd, they'd dress like they're, they're, they're going to the bank. And, uh, you know, so then there was that. And so over the years, credibility has been established on different ways. Now, nowadays, you don't have to have any credibility. All you have to do is click a button on Zillow and you can be the first day on the job as a real estate agent and can be the one that goes to show that person that house. That's what I think is kind of interesting about our industry right now is that, you know, when it comes to convenience, a lot of people now, uh, real estate agents by convenience is, is a phrase that's being used a lot where, you know, hey, uh, they're available, they're here now, they're whatever. And it's it's like, I've always said this, I go, just like Uber, if you really think about Uber, you're clicking a button and you're hoping somebody decent shows up, but you don't think that way. It's more convenient, right? They're going to come get me at this location, take me to that location. You don't care if they've ever been in a multiple car accident. You don't verify that their IDs are real. You don't verify that they have insurance on that vehicle. You technically are getting into a car where your risk is huge, right? Same thing with real estate agents. I think so many people are just like, click the button. It must be legit. And I don't understand how the consumer uh, protection agencies are not going after these lead generation style sites that are saying, hey, by clicking this, you may get an agent with no experience. But they don't, but, right? So anyway. do, you think, do you think, though, that people just don't give realtors the credibility and they don't care who shows them they just want to get in and then they'll just try to um i don't know in a way say oh oh you're not the listing agent because a lot of people that's what they'll do i mean all of a sudden they'll find out that hey this person's not the listing agent and they cancel the showing how many showings have you had andy where it's kind of like a oh that's interesting that person's showing it after you look at you know kind of what they've sold and stuff 
and all of a sudden they cancel and they don't show up. My, my client didn't want to see it. And what that is, is people figuring out that they wanted to go see it with the listing agent. Because a lot of times that listing agent, obviously for, for obvious reasons, knows more about that listing than anyone else. And then right. sometimes they're going to try to, they're trying to negotiate, you know, the buyer side commission. And, and I, I've had that. And it's kind of like, you know what, the commission's none of your business. It's what yeah. I've, it's what I've negotiated with the seller and what we've done. You know, yeah. it's just, it's so, I don't know. It's, it's that, I think in a way the internet, but you, you find out later on, you know, well, I think that they, whether people... or not you have an agent though. I mean, you'll yeah. find out later on if you're, you had, if your agent was worth it or was not worth it. Well, I think too, that there's people that are out there that don't understand the dynamics and nor do they care. They just think, Hey, there's gravy. I want gravy. I'm going for it. Meaning the, the, you know, like the markup or the, mm -hmm. the commission potential, like, Hey, if I come in here directly, um, I get that. And, and it's yeah. like, that's not always the case. So mm -hmm. usually the listing agent has a relationship with the seller where the seller's agreeing to pay that listing agent, let's say 6%. And that listing agent is paying out a cooperative commission of 2.7 so that they don't have to, you know, this whole, this is a whole other conversation, but, and, and so let's say you come in there without representation. Does that mean that instantly that listing agent has to give up half their commission? Nope. It means they whole hogged it. And it means that now you're going to be in my, no offense, you're going to be a pain in the ass usually for that listing agent because you don't have anybody protecting your best interest. So then there's all these fiduciary, implied fiduciary responsibilities with being a client that they think they get that they don't. And but so that, I, I disagree. And I disagree because they do get representation. They get the same representation as the seller gets. Now, it depends who that agent is, number one. But we just all we can't do is discuss price terms or motivation. Well, Andy, if you came over to my listing in Credit River, you wouldn't you would you would know the price. You don't know what the seller is going to take. You would you wouldn't have any idea about motivation at all, and you would have no idea what kind of terms that that seller wants. So, how how does that make that agent a better agent for this person? Other than hey, I can um, I'll, I'll write it for lower. I'll try to negotiate it for you. So, uh, I yeah, just but you're assuming a couple of big things, Chris. That the property is listed correctly and at the right price. So the biggest yep, thing it is, is because it's but just you because don't, it's you don't think buyers right. know that? I think buyers know that. I, I think to an extent, it depends. I mean, if everybody's selling for a million bucks and you're at a million seven and you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's that's the difference. But I think in most entry-level houses, most buyers don't have a clue what to offer. They just know it's for sale and they need to negotiate because that's what they think. Just like they walk into a store and they think jeans are on sale. Well, these jeans are $400 a pair, but they're half price. Well, you know, the jeans that normal people buy might be 75 bucks. So it's like, until you really know the arena that you're playing in, and I'm not saying that some people don't, because, yeah. you know, Chris, you're right. I think the higher end clients do know more um, and they don't need the agent to necessarily help them. But I think that what I'm really trying to say to that extent is this, you know, you, you do not have the same fiduciary responsibilities with somebody that does not have a signed contract with you. They don't. They, they, the only difference is, is that they have confidentiality when you guys are, you know, you can hold that back as a listing agent, but that's everything. I mean, if that's the price, the motivation, the terms of whatever, right? You sit there and think about this as an agent. You your buyer comes in directly and says, "I don't have representation." They're treated as a client. They're not necessarily under contract with you. And if they don't agree to sign a buyer's representative agreement, true, right? But that's not, that's not dual agency. That, I mean, that's that's a. I mean that that's a situation that they're on their own completely. Yeah. Because I mean, other than price terms or motivation, I mean, I could tell them anything I want from a standpoint of, hey. Let's let's talk about pricing. Let's try to justify what this price is worth and what it's worth to you. You know, but ultimately, everyone, I think, gets caught up so much in this whole price thing when in the end, it's it's a little piece of the whole puzzle. And what I'm saying from uh, a little piece from the whole puzzle, it's like everyone thinks, OK, yeah, I got that off. But if you're not if you're not brought through the whole transaction and and set up for after the fact, you can lose thousands and thousands of dollars and well, percentages if you didn't get the right information. And to go so back to I where think we what happens, oh, hold on. I yeah. think what happens in dual agency is that sometimes the agents get um, like, hey, I'm going to do anything to be able to try to get this deal together because I'm going to make more money. And that's the problem. 
that I agree is a is a is a big problem. But I think you also got to look at who that agent is that's in there, and uh, they probably have maybe maybe they've only been in the business three or four years. You know, not to say that's that's horrible, but you know, if now all of a sudden you go to Andy and it's twenty five years in the business or whatever it is. Um, 25, well, God, maybe there is something this guy's been doing. You know, it kind of makes some sense. And that that guy is going to represent your best interest. He just can't tell you what they told you. It's just like, hey, if someone tells you a secret, you can't tell the other person, but that doesn't mean you can't be their friend. So so where I come back to all of this, I would say as high as 95% of the people that try to buy direct, the only reason they're trying to buy direct without representation is because there's presumption that they can save that commission. And that's where they're wrong. That's why I'm saying it's all about- I know, I'd say that's why 95% of the people do it. And companies like Redfin that were doing that for a while where they would concede like a percentage of the commission, they were part of the problem. So it's like, and it's not not a problem. It's just that there's a a negotiating chip. It's kind of like being able to go into the doctor and saying, hey, I know you only pay the insurance companies this many dollars for this procedure, but you're charging me this much. I'm offering you this. And they go get out of my office, and it just there. There's a, a uh, anyway. But I think I think a dual agency it's it's typically harder, but um, in, in which to be able to do because you are representing two different parties, and you're trying to not, you know, um, I don't know. It's it's to me, it's one of those things that you um, sometimes can work a lot better through the one agent. It's agents that are the problem, and when I say that. What I mean by that is that I'll have my 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 whole thing is to get that thing sold. It's not about what that buyer is doing, but I look at it from a standpoint of, hey, it's a dual agency. I'm going to be working with this person forever. You know what I mean? And if they don't buy this one, they don't buy the other one. But it's my duty to give them the information so they can make the decision. It's not my decision to make on what they do. So if right. I can show them, hey, I mean, there's a reason I went in and, and priced this house the way I priced it. I mean, I should be able to defend that, you know, and here's what it is. And and here's why I think you should get it. And, you know, and when you're talking, let's just say million dollar range, you know, but what you do is you got to control it. So I was talking about this open house that I had. There's three people in that open house that had lots on hold that were in the process of getting building plans together and, and priced out and kind of horrified by how much that was. And then they look at this and I say, you know what? I work with a builder. I know. I know what it costs. And hey, it's brand new though. And you can make that room a, an inch bigger. You can get your tile. You can get your colors. But it will cost you about 500000 more than this house. Fact. Price it out. I mean, it's, it's what it is. And so, um, and then you got to add landscaping on there. Then you got to add blinds on there. So, but that's not my decision to tell them. It's just, that's a fact. And so now what do you want to do with that? Oh, go build. That's great. You should go build. It's a great thing. A lot of people are doing it. I think our conversation is very reflective of the price points we work in, where you a lot of times are that over a million, you're over that two million even. And I'm with the the harder working folk that uh, are doesn't mean they're not harder working. What's that? It doesn't mean they're not hard hard working. I'm 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 paraphrasing. Some of the people some of the people I got are very hardworking people. They don't just make money. They don't have just trust funds like you, Andy. Listen, <laughs> everybody in our category we're talking to obviously is hardworking. They wouldn't be able to afford a house. Good. What I'm saying is, is this: there's if in and if you don't have to recognize this. This is just me. I, I know this for a fact. We deal with a ton of buyers that come in that want to negotiate from the commission, real estate commission. They've been taught this from brokerages, or they've been taught this from I buy so many houses, I don't need anybody involved. And they perceive that they can buy houses for less money by negotiating with listing agents directly. That's the facts. Or they'll come in directly and they'll say, what kind of a deal are you going to give me if I don't have a real estate agent? Almost every weekend I hear this, Chris. So people coming in just saying, and it's because they think, well, hey, we're here on our own. And, uh, you know, we're actually, we don't need a real estate agent. We're here buying from a new construction home builder. But what are you going to do for us if we buy this house without a real estate agent? We hear that all the time, and so what, so what happens? What's what's happening in the market then at that point? What what are what is are the listing agents say? Oh yeah, no problem, we'll, we'll do it. Or sometimes, it, what what happens? Sometimes real estate agents that are that are you know hungrier for business do it all the time. Like during the parade of homes, I hear it from one of my competitors where they say, "Hey, 
if you buy with us with no real, and they don't even ask them, this is where it bothers me. And, and I have, I'm, I'm making big assumptions here, but they'll say, Hey, you know, um, when you buy in the parade of homes and you buy direct from the builder, we list your house for this discounted percentage. So they're incentivizing people to come in non-represented, which is a big no-no. But anyway, number one. But number two, um, they're encouraging these people to make financial decisions that could hurt them, which is the whole fiduciary responsibility thing. So I, I struggle with a lot of this. But the idea there is, is that that salesperson or that real estate agent sitting in that model sells a million-dollar house. And let's say they make 5% on it. So they've got a $50,000 pile of cash there. They can sell that other house at no loss. Even if they break even on it, they don't have to make money on it because they're making the money over here. And that's what I see a lot of where they do these like bundles, as they say. Um, but it, you got to be careful, ladies and gentlemen, because I think, and I don't want to spend the whole show talking about this. We haven't spent 20 minutes on this, but I think that you just need to understand there's a role for a real estate agent in this transaction. And and then there's times where, yep, you should buy the neighbor's house directly. And, and hire an attorney to do the paperwork or hire a real estate agent to do the paperwork for you. But it's like in this world that we live in, you know, where people are starting to come direct or they come where they um, are dealing with the listing. I get a little bit nervous to be honest with you because I, I feel there's a lot of people that don't have the experience or they're first time home buyers, but they read an article online and they're trying to buy that house directly and they want, you know, a concession for not having representation and they're using those verbs or that verbiage in in their offers and it just it i don't know I, I not that it bothers me as much as it just i'm concerned for what they're trying to do and they don't understand what they're doing to themselves mm -hmm. yeah and, and everybody's hard that i that i negotiate with my seller is what it is it's not between me and the buyer at all right and the other thing is is that i mean if that's what they want then that's what they should get and they should do it and there's no problem with that but they also have to remember when shit hits the fan you know, they got to handle that too, yep. you know, and, and from a seller perspective, it's my duty as, as an agent to tell them what could happen with someone that's representing themselves and that they don't know what they're doing. I mean, they think they're all, they, all they're thinking about is that I'm going to get this, this money off here. You know right. what? And sometimes, Hey, that's great. That's kind of like, um, not doing an inspection. I mean, typically it's around three to $5,000 you'll find on inspection. All right. You're taking that on. That's fine. Yeah. Is that you understand that, but you need to understand that. But the seller also needs to understand that it's not about getting a contract signed. It's getting about a house sold and closed. And that sometimes doesn't happen when you right. don't have someone helping them along or letting them understand that, you know, hey, on an inspection, you know, this house is 20 years old. You can't ask for, you know, all the siding and everything to uh, be replaced because it's not going to work for you. And all of a sudden you tick off the seller, the seller's done. The seller's not going to deal with you anymore. And now you got a problem. But what do we do? What happens after the fact when you got a problem? That's fine. You don't have to go to an agent. Just go to an attorney right away and, and, and try to work it out. So I just think people need to realize that and, and what it is. And I think realtors also need to start giving themselves some value. But if someone don't have value, you know, it's hard to get. Well, that, that, again, <laughs> and that comes back to that old Uber concept right yeah wait till an uber gets in a car accident and you get hurt really bad yeah and then what happens yeah. so then then you're like well i didn't know that i should verify that they have insurance i didn't know that i should verify that they were who they say they are on the driver's license because it's not their brother driving that car tonight in their place and you know what i'm saying it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of question marks and and and, and anyway yeah. walk cautiously. just know that your choices have consequences and that's fine Right. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong. And that's what I'm getting at. There's nothing wrong with it. But you have to understand that there's a lot of things that go on in a real estate transaction that aren't on Google. Oh, yeah. You know, so. Right on. And we finally have ice, by the way. On the, oh, oh, there's still some openings. Just so you know. I have ice on my pond back here. Oh, yes. <laughs> what? There it just adds to it right there. You know, I mean, you're not set up for success. And the thing is, is that what agents do is they don't want to push it. Oh, I'll go show you houses. I'll show you 700 houses and spend two years with you. And then if you decide, maybe we could go talk to a lender. Why? Get them in. They got to know that they're set up with a lender. I had a guy who said, 
hey, I want to write an offer on this house. And I said, well, you, you can't, you know, and it was, and here it was, it was, went through an open house and then called me and said, I really want to write an offer on this house. Most people just write it up. I said, we can't do that until you have your financing in order. So let's go get your finance in order. And he goes, well, I'm going to lose it. And I said, well, you're going to lose it regardless at, at this time or, or later. And we're going to set ourselves up for a failure. Well, it never did sell. And within a week, he was kind of like, oh, I've, I've got this set up. I'm talking to two lenders, seeing which one's the best. And then decided he didn't like that house in the first place. But now it's kind of like, hey, I understand what 500000 means at 7% interest rate. I understand now what property taxes are and then what mortgage insurance is. Yeah. So now you're prepared to go in. And so rather than 500,000, I really want to stay around 450. Perfect. Well, one of the, uh, one of the best analogies I ever heard was when they were talking about a buyer that was out there and they wanted to buy a property just in the scenario you're talking about. Yeah. And, and one of my guys said, you know, that's like saving up your whole life to go on like a trophy hunt. And then you don't bring any bullets with you. You've got everything lined up. You've got the perfect, you know, the trophy deer standing there and you go to shoot and you don't have a bullet in your gun. That's like not having your financing ready to go. Why would you? Not uh, why would you not, you know, not only that, but, you know, maybe even do a couple of test fires before you head out, get ready, make sure you're prepared, make sure that when the right deal comes along, you're prepared to take action. And, and then those actions would be listened to because like you said, Chris, you're right. I, like as a listing agent, I just had multiple offers um, two days ago on a place I've got up for sale. And one of them was like, they're working on the approval. And I'm like, we didn't even look at the offer. Yeah. We looked at the other two. Right. Hey, you know, those analogies, you know, we kind of make fun of them and do that. And what it is, but my God, those are so important to show people and how to understand. And I think that's what you, you do really, really well is that you, give like a real life situation. So it's like, I get it. Oh my God, I'm a hunter. I understand. I'm, I'm a fisherman, you know? And, and now I get what that means because people don't understand really what's going on. And so being able to explain it to that actually, actually it's really good. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. Four buyer red flags to look out for. First, galvanized pipes. These puppies can get all rusted and corroded, mess with your water pressure, and they can be tens of thousands of dollars to replace. Old roofs, when you start to see the shingles pulling up like that and you can see fiberglass, it's gotta go. Fire hazard electrical panels. We always look for Zinsco, Federal Pacific, Bulldog, and Challenger. These are the four problem panels. Finally, and this one's a biggie, foundation cracks. I've seen these estimated at over $100,000 to fix. You do not wanna buy a house with a broken foundation. For more information, ask your Windermere agent. Yeah, I, I like that electrical panel one where she actually names them because now it's a lot simpler that hey, I know it's one of those panels. Yeah. So, well, I think good. most home inspectors are are very aware of those brands, and then they, uh, you know, I mean, or, or you just, you know, like I said, the other thing that I'll do as an agent, I don't do as much buyer stuff as I used to, but like when we have a situation like that where it is a house that has an older panel, I just say, hey, it's I recognize it as an older panel during the home inspection. Let's get your favorite electrician out here to take a look at that and give you an estimate um, so that we can have that on your arsenal of, of items to be replaced. Well, there, therein goes the value of a realtor, okay? So if we don't know about that and say, you know, hey, you always do an inspection, it'll cost you. Well, that inspection costs you money. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden, Andy looks at that panel and he says it's a Federal Pacific. He goes, that's, that's going to have to get replaced. And they're typically around $3,500 in which to do that. Okay, I know that going in, or I know that going into my offer at least, and it's not a surprise that the inspector's going to get me because that's our job. Is that it's great to have an inspection, but they're not free, you know. Right. And it's it's great to I mean on a, on a house you're typically going to spend three to four hundred dollars on the inspection, mm -hmm. and then if you want to get um, the drain pipes all cameraed, that's another couple hundred dollars. And now I want to do the radon, that's another couple hundred dollars. Now I'm $800 on that house. And that's not fun when all of a sudden you see there's a bad panel and it's like, you could have known that ahead of time. That's where an experienced agent who's been through this and see galvanized pipes and, and understands what lead-based paint is or, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It's just, uh, it, it's, it's really important not, not to make the decision for people, 
but it's kind of like there you lend your experience to be able to show that hey this is good but you just you just need to know that and it's it's not a bad thing it's just something you need to understand and then we have to deal with it or you don't have to deal with it right some people don't care so i i had those customers too you know where they just they buy an older house and they get it it's a 105 year old house and love the charm and character yeah it has character one of the windows is rotten we'll get it next year and they don't care exactly that's why it's not a realtor's decision it's kind of like i'll never forget because i did it one time and i was like oh my god this that purple i can't believe they painted it purple i love purple the color looks awesome and i'm like oh my god i totally was just i totally kind of dumped this house because of purple freaking paint and this person loves purple paint that's up to them hey what now what i say is that you know the purple hey it's for each individual i mean but if you're going to go sell it you want to try to get as neutral as you can to appeal to the most amount of buyers there's a lot different way of saying it but it's kind of like hey next time i come back in five years that's what i always think about is what what did i tell them then that i'm going to tell them in five years that's a problem when we go to sell it and so i'm going to let them know and so that's not the first time they're going to hear about their purple paint that i want painted Real estate investors, there's an insane opportunity to make money in the market right now and nobody is talking about it. And if you're questioning my confidence, I've been in the industry for over two decades. I've sold over a billion dollars in real estate and I have an eight figure real estate portfolio. Everyone knows that interest rates are at an all time high and people are scared to buy. But what most people aren't understanding is that the higher the interest rate, the lower the price. The lower the price, the more equity you make when the interest rates come back down. Guys, it's simple. Most economists are predicting rates to come back down as soon as January of 2024. And when this happens, we're gonna see buyers flood the market. Last thing you want to do is be competing with everybody else to buy that special property. And once the rates start to pull back, prices are going to go up and buyers are going to flood the market. What this means for you is you can purchase a property at a lower price and refinance once rates come back down. You get to take advantage of that instant equity gain, pull money out when you refinance and go buy another property. However, if you wait around like everybody else, you might end up getting a better interest rate next year, but at a much higher price. And it's going to take you years to make that equity that you would if you bought right now. Now, what makes the most sense to you? Drop a comment below. Smart man. What do you say? He's got an eight-figure real estate portfolio as well. There's a reason. Hard to argue with guys like that. Yeah, yeah. You buy high, and that's what happens. Rates come down. I mean, we saw it already. We saw it during COVID. Rates come back, and everyone wants this one house. You get thirty offers on it. You have to pay fifty thousand more. You know, sure, you get a great interest rate, and and the payment. The payment matters. I mean, the payment matters to a lot of people because it's like, hey, for fifty thousand more. At three percent, that's not going to cost me that much money. You know, it's, it's really not. I mean, monthly, and I'm, I might as well grab it because, geez, if it was six percent, I would have to pay two hundred thousand more for this. Yeah. But the fact is, you're going to have to eventually turn around and sell it, or want to sell it, and now you've lost fifty, probably seventy-five thousand dollars worth of equity that you could have had. So it's it's really interesting because we just we just ran this performa on a, on a new build, and yeah. is it better to take a thirty thousand dollar discount? Or is it better to buy down an interest rate? And by far, Chris, what's crazy is buying down the interest rate far out exceeds the discount. So like in new, if you hold the house long enough, right? Like if yes. you hold it 10 years or more. And you don't refinance. Yep. And you don't touch it, right? Like if you just buy it, move in. And you're and saying it nothing works. changes over the next 10 years. Correct. I mean, right. and it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars to your benefit to not buy it for less money. It's to buy it for more and then have the lower interest rate on that house like the four point now it's down to four and three quarters or whatever they're doing them at. And so it's like, it can get on a 30 year fix pretty cheap. Um, but most people want both. And then they're like, the builders go, we don't have that much gravy on these potatoes. You know, it's like, there's not enough to do both. But I think that's what people don't understand is that these builders aren't like, I mean, especially like builders that you have that are more, Hey, there is more about volume and stuff. They have to turn volume and they make lesser, profit on each of those houses right so people come in and say oh geez you're you must be a custom home builder and you're making three hundred thousand on this i want it for two hundred thousand less well what are you talking about we're making sixty thousand you know and do you want us to be able to handle the warranty work after a year otherwise we're going to be out of business kind of thing and if it doesn't work for you that's fine you know go find another deal there's nothing wrong with that but i think it's just kind of it's it's us trying to educate the the masses out there and it's impossible to you could get them 
onesie twosie at a time but you all have whatever you want to do you go for it do it yeah all right boys you're rolling today um i want you to talk to this agent talk him off the cliff he says real estate feels like a giant pyramid scheme um let me bring up his uh his uh comment all right so after being in real estate for a year this industry feels like a giant pyramid scheme so many slimy people and cheese balls in this business i got my license i have to join a brokerage for them to process the transaction no they're ultimately responsible for your transaction um they i joined a team it absolutely got worked over the team lead constantly changed commission structures and fees right before a deal was going to go through kicking a lot of the commission up to the broker and team lead for doing basically nothing, prospecting, calling on a crap lead, um, something up to the broker and team lead for doing basically nothing, prospecting, calling on crap leads all day, reading BS scripts about how it's a great time to buy, felt gross, asking for rental business from your sphere or if they know anyone in, interested in buying or selling, literally seeing everyone I know as a dollar sign and always trying to weasel real estate into the conversation. I think, I think um i think what's really missing in this industry is exactly that it's all about the deal and, and getting deals done and, and making money which we all have to in which to do but there's something they usually forget in doing that they forget to know what the heck they're even doing and if you don't know what you're doing you're not going to survive long term in this business if all you're doing is leads and, and grabbing leads and, and getting them from a, a team agent, you know, you're getting at minimum half, probably less than that, 25 to 50% of what that, what that commission is. And so if that's the way that you want to be, that's fine. But if you're not giving anybody something of value, so all these people that you're talking to, you know, and it's just like, Hey, do you know, are you interested? Do you know of anyone that's buying or selling? Yeah. You can make a hundred calls and you might get one person on that. If that's what you want to do and live that life, that's great. But I'm telling you, if you just learn and understand this business, and we that guy that was on that that reel, you know that hey, he's been in it over twenty years. You know he sold sold a billion dollars worth of houses. His portfolio is eight figures deep. I mean, there's he knows something. You know, people are attracted to that. I want that's what I want. I want someone that is doing that because that's what I want for myself from a buyer seller perspective. But here's here's what's crazy, Chris. This is this is the the well-known fact. You want that real estate agent now with that experience? They're usually the same price as the one that's the click online brand new agent because it's that's how no offense to the consumer, but that's how foolish sometimes consumers are with not doing their research and it's just whatever's available, whatever they click and that's what they work with and versus you can have an experienced agent with real world experience, actual miles and miles and miles of traction on, on what to do, where to go, how to get the deals done, how to negotiate, how to, you know, how to finance a dealer. Hey, this happened, this came up, let's go over here and get this kind of financing. I mean, those agents, in my opinion, are the ones that will make you the most money. That's why they're successful. That's why they're busy um, because they're good at what they do. Everybody needs to get a start somewhere in this business. But like I've said, if you're, you know, I don't know, Chris, what is your opinion on that with, um, when it comes back to teams versus no teams and that, that other agent, when you read that whole big paragraph of what they said, it depends, it totally yeah. depends who you're with. I mean, I right. don't disagree with anything that person said, but they're obviously not in the right situation and they didn't talk to the right people and, or talk to the other team members to find out or ask, you know, ask well, that team leader, that team leader's all over the place because yeah. he's, he's, he or she is probably trying to survive. Because they're yep. buying all these leads that you're not converting. And right. that's why they give you scripts because let's see what that, that's worked for them. But it might not be who you are. That's that's right. my point. I mean, if you don't have anything, you got to deal with what someone does. And I'll tell you what, getting the experience and at least having someone to talk to and call and getting some experience, it kind of goes into the way that then you want to do it. Right. So. I think that there's, you know, you get into the business, you can be that sole you know, real estate agent by yourself, you find a nice little brokerage, it's fair on their fees and their prices, and you learn how to build your own business on your own. They're, they're, they're all over the place, right? So you don't have to go to these big high split places. I also think on the other end of this, the scale, 
they're taking used car salesmen and putting them into the real estate business and they don't even really know what they're even doing in real estate. They just know that this is their task on the chain of commands that they are responsible for this much of that task, which is like unlocking the door and getting that person to think that it's time to buy a house or whatever. And then there's everything in between. There's teams that are, you know, the Andy Prasky and two other people, there's the Andy Prasky and 50 people, you know, and, and or, or there's the, you know, uh, so there's lots of different versions of teams. So what I think that a lot of times people don't, as, as real estate agents do, is spend the time to understand how this business is positioned and where you can fit into those different roles because they're not all the same. You can go from one big team where you make 10% of the commission and you feel like all you're doing all day is making cold calls and scripts. And those, those positions are high turnover jobs. A lot of these big teams have more than 200% turnover a year because these people can't stand the job or they don't like it. But in the meantime, that team has 200 agents making phone calls every day for them. And as you're dropping off the bottom, they're filling in somebody new on the top with the illusion that, hey, this is a big real estate transaction company. You can be part of our success. But you're, part, you're one little cog in the wheel and they know that you're going to break. And so they have lots of replacement parts behind you to fix to replace you. On the other hand, I think it's important for real estate agents, like Chris was just saying, to learn how to write a purchase agreement, to learn to understand how to review a purchase agreement, how to do a listing agreement, understand what the different kinds of listings that are out there. Um, and talk to people that are in your sphere of influence. Because here's the thing I'd say, as a new agent, you'd be shocked at, you know, your old Uncle Billy that has the whatever company, talk to Uncle Billy and say, listen, as a real estate agent, I'm getting into this business. I respect you. You've built the business out of nothing. Your widget business is very successful. What would you give me for advice or recommend? Now you're recruiting that person to be on your team. When people feel part of something, they want to be part of your success. They'll say, you know what? Uh, let me do this for you. I got a friend of mine looking for a condo for his kid. Let me refer you, you know, and Uncle Billy refers you. And now you have an honest transaction with people that are real, that value your time, value your opinion. And then you need to knock it out of the park. Knock it out of the park and guess what those people will do? They refer you because you're good at what you do or you went the extra mile to get the information that they didn't have or you made them comfortable with the decisions they were making. Now you have a real business and now that business will grow and grow and grow. And that's the sole proprietor like real estate agents you see. A lot of those have built their business on reputation and good experience with their past clients. Um, it's not flash. It's not who's got the most money and buys the most internet leads. And, and if people think that's not the case, I really would, you know, the, the the old Oz pull the curtain, you'd be shocked at how many of these teams that are out there that all they do is buy leads and you're part of a system. And it's just, it's, it's not as traditional, like you and I, Chris, we both started in traditional real estate environments and we understand the old school side of it, but old school doesn't mean that it's not valuable. Old school means that you're learning the business from the ground up, in my opinion. And that's the way all agents should start, you know? I think we should have a journeyman kind of, you know, journeyman apprentice, master, whatever levels of this business. And it should be based on you shadowing somebody else. And it should be based on you watching a fantastic agent as she's all giving a listening presentation, learning how she's working with her client, understanding their needs, because that's what it's all about. Anyway. Hey guys, Andy Prasky with Remax and the Preferred Home Team. If your house didn't sell before the listing expired, you probably are feeling a little frustrated. And I understand, it's a hard spot to be in. Let me run down a few options for you. When your house hasn't sold, you can take it off the market completely, sell it yourself, or work with an agent to relist it. If this is a bit overwhelming, here's what I'll tell you. There's probably a reason you wanted to move, so deciding you're not going to move isn't really putting your needs first. And while you can try to sell it yourself, it's an involved process, and if you're already stressed because it didn't sell the first time, Taking on the pressure of selling it on your own may be more than you want to tackle. Option three is to relist it. Now, I know you didn't have a great experience and I want to change that. I'm here to listen and offer advice. Let's connect so that you can have a partner who can help you make a plan to help you make your next real estate move. Call me Andy P. I'd love to help you on your real estate journey today. Hey, can I, I, I know we have um, a bunch of stuff and I mean, Andy's going to have to answer. I got to go to, um, my, my class, but I did want to say one thing because we've been talking about that whole dual agency and buyers taking off the commissions and blah, blah, blah. I just want to give kind of an example of where you think price is kind of the biggest deal and they're try, trying to get commission. Okay. So I had um, someone come through an open house and uh, they did ask about 
hey, you know, we should be able to get it for lower. And I said, no, that's that's my seller, blah, blah, blah. We got past that. So anyways, I get an offer that, uh, that same day from an agent um, that never showed the house, brought the, had these people in, whatever. And they had a contingent house. They had all told me about it. And uh, it's it seemed like a, a house that would sell pretty quickly. They came in very strong. Uh, right away, we had other showings, but they came in with with a, a good offer, and uh, my seller decided to accept it. I gave him all the stuff, but all of a sudden we got another offer, which was better, you know. And um, these people wanted to go contingent. They talked about it, you know. Well, we don't really have to, but we kind of want to. So they, but they did write it. They ended up writing a contingent. Well. When we get another offer, which was during the inspection period, I mean, they were doing an inspection. It was, it was right on that. They hadn't even list, put their house on the market yet. And um, we got another offer. And so we, we gave them a notice to push it. And immediately, like within, well, like a day, and I think we had three days, within a day, they came back and said, hey, here's our approval letter. We can qualify for it. We're going to move on. And I'm like, uh-uh, doesn't work that way. You know, that's not what the contingency inspection says. It states that you have to give us a purchase agreement free and clear, um, free and clear of everything except contingent upon financing. And uh, and you don't have that. They said, well, we can qualify for it. We approved it to you. It says it doesn't matter. And so my point is they ended up losing out on that house. My seller ended up getting more because they didn't know what to do. And what they should have done is they should have put buyer at buyer's option may remove this contingency in lieu of not selling their house with a pre-approval letter from uh, a qualified lender. Seller um, must accept that as substitute for that, whatever it is. Proof of removal, yeah. Yep. They didn't do it. And so, and why they didn't do it? Well, it finds out, found out later, I ended up selling these people a house later on. Their agent had no clue about that, didn't even, didn't even think that was possible, didn't even know that they couldn't do it qualifying and uh they lost out on the house that they really wanted you know so there there it is there there oh i saved some money and this person agreed to take half of the money they were going to pay them half the money if you could just you know write the offer and they got exactly what they did and i told mm -hmm. them I said, that's not that's not my problem i would have given you that information then you decide if you want to put it on there or not so ended up that seller ended up making more money and i ended up selling those guys a house so that's it's good. just kind of it's there's it's much more than a, some dollars people that's what i wanted it was the perfect area blah 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 blah. It was on the lake yeah but i think you know in, in in defense of the people that are out there asking for these commissionectomies i think a lot of times the the and then we keep going back to the same thing the problem is they've dealt with the click idiots as i say the the click and do me a showing and they're like this person was a total you know non-experienced brand new to the business, you know, as they say, kind of the wet behind the ears, brand new to the world, um, kind of an agent. I don't see value in that. I'd rather do this on my own. Why can't I do this on my own? And you can. That's the thing is that I would say to you is that you do not have to always use a real estate agent. You can do things directly. You can do things yourself. But then you also have to understand that that money is not yours to be given. It's, it's you know, like, for example, when you're not represented, that doesn't mean anything to a seller because the seller's under contract with the listing agent. And, and that's all I'm trying to say with that whole thing, kind of when you come full circle, is that if they've got a contract for 6% and it's not what they call a variable rate, which means, hey, if somebody comes in without a realtor, we'll do it for this, but you're not supposed to you know, advertise that. That's supposed to be between you and your seller. Um, then yeah. they may choose not to accept your your offer that's lower. Yeah, And, and that's the thing. It's To me, it's kind of like, all I'm trying to do is, is buyer beware. You know, it's not, there's a lot more that goes into it than just how much you can try to get off the price because, uh, you know, you think you don't need an agent to be able to do it for you. So and it's yep. totally fine. It's yep. not a big deal, but just know that these are the kind of things that happen. So, right. But you guys, you guys finish up. I know Andy, um, he's going to talk about a guy hacking. Uh, what is that? Buyer was hacked when wiring. Oh my gosh, that just happened to uh -oh. him. But um, I got to go to class. Well, have fun learning all your uh, your book learning. And it's Andy. Nick, get on the screen with me and share it with me a little bit here. 
right. Has anyone ever heard of anything like this? It was wire fraud. Are they still responsible for the earnest money? The day before a before a closing, they were allegedly hacked when closing with the other property and now cannot buy this property. But the seller just closed in the new house and moved in, but needed that money. Basically, just talk about what happens uh, with this being hacked when you're trying to wire money, Andy. Well, you know, wire. if you think about this for a second, Nick, you know, when, when it comes down to wire fraud, that can also be the fraud. The, the buyer could be fraudulent in saying that they were hacked or saying, I mean, where's the proof? Where'd the money go? And if it was that easy to prove, you'd be able to go back and get it, right? Most banks will work with you. Like if you have the FDIC insured savings, um, sometimes people will put, and I, and I know this changes by the day, but, you know, traditionally it was FDIC insured up to, you know, a certain dollar amount was only on savings accounts. So if somebody internally, now this happened to one of my clients where, all of a sudden they saved up $40,000 to put this money down in a house and they went in there and there was only like $1,100 left of the amount that was in their account. And it was an internal bank job. Somebody had hacked into the system through internal whatever and took the money. Um, that In that situation was Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo within about a day and a half had that money back into their account and said, we'll take care of it internally. Sorry for the inconvenience. And it was actually a really good experience. Um, I've heard other people where they have miswired the money where um, they'll have like, let's say, Nick, you're going to closing and somebody's hacked your email and they say, OK, hey, we changed uh, the wiring instructions. Don't wire to the title company. Let's have you wire to this title company. That's where our, our trust account is. And so you rewire the money to a different account. So you did it yourself. Those are the harder ones to regain. Those are the harder ones to because. Um, at that point, you just gave somebody on the street your $40,000 and they took off running with it. And now you got to catch them. And there's nobody that ensures a transaction like that. So at the end of the day, you're ultimately responsible for your own money and making sure that you're not letting that happen to you. And, and what precautions can you take to protect that? A lot of my title companies have great um, measures that they, they go through to protect you as a client. And one of the things that they'll do is some of those title companies will not just email you. They don't email anymore. If there's anything that changes, it's usually a phone call. Hi, this is, you know, the title person. Um, this is what we're doing, but nothing changes anymore. Nothing changes last minute. So when people, Oh, Hey, by the way, cause they know you're frantic. You're, you've got the movers, you got the kids out of school or you got somebody in town to help you move or whatever it is. And they know that you're frantic. That's why these predators are preying on these people moving because they know that at that time. And so anyway, I, I just, I would caution you to say, listen, if anybody ever has anything that changes at the last minute, talk to the title people on the phone first. Don't text them. Don't call them. Don't email them. Call them and talk to them. Um, number one. Number two, I talk to my agent. And then if anything else, go to the title company yourself because they're usually local. Go right in there and say, hey, this is going on. Is this normal or is this not normal? And, and before you make any changes, if you had fraud committed against you where your money just disappears, that's that's a bank problem. Beautiful, Andy. Uh, someone bought a historical home is having some issues after uh, closing. Oh. Pop up this question here. You've dealt with these historical homes, right, Andy? Oh, yeah. Good. Uh, I purchased. Here we go. Want me to read it or you? I can read it. I purchased a home that was built in 1930 about three weeks ago. I had uh, the home repainted and received a letter from the county telling me I violated historical architectural restrictions by painting it uh, in unapproved color. Uh, nowhere at closing or during the buying process was I told the home was deemed a historical. And after going through closing documents, there is nothing about covenants or restrictions in the documents. Can um, a county deem a house historical with architectural um, I didn't read that last word, but the, um, without having acknowledgement of this during the closing process. Um, well, you know, just like anything else, let's say that you're buying a house that is um, a veteran owned it and they have deferred taxes on it. And so you buy a half million dollar house and they only have, you know, $1,300 a year in taxes because they were a disabled veteran um, that you should there should be a red flag there. Historical uh, registered homes usually have um, some kind of a shelter or some kind of a, a mark on the tax. Um, it should be re registered that way. There should be, you know, but when you buy a historical um, home, like Anoka is full of registered yeah. historical homes, right? 
And what they have is they, they put these little signs, these yard signs in the front yard with their address on it. So as you're driving down the street, you say, oh, that's, they're in the program, they're in the program. And then what they do is as, as they go through, they just wanna, they wanna maintain the character of that home. And so some historical societies that are over other areas are protective. And I don't know, like, I've never really heard the word like paint. That sounds to me to be more of an architectural control committee. Um, like we even have that on new houses where they control. So you don't have three gray houses in a row. The one that's in the middle, they'll say, hey, can you pick another color? We already have two gray houses on each side of you. So I've seen that with architectural control committees. But at that point, you have signed that and you agree and you understand that that our control uh, is up to the, the, the committee. Um, that's usually signed at closing. So I'm guessing it's historical society and that they just um, didn't do the time to do the research. Um, usually your title will pull that up and say, oh, by the way, this is on a historical registry, which means there's going to be restrictions on improvements or, you know, like with the glass, you know, Nick, the one thing that's interesting is like um, a, a good client of mine bought a home down on Summit Avenue, um, bought the old Shaughnessy mansion or whatever. And it was really cool. Um, but they went to replace a couple of the windows because they were rotten over the years um, just because the houses are, are 120 some years old. And they had to use the same leaded glass. It was special order, special. I mean, each window was like $7,000. So it went from being like, wow, this is a cool project to, oh my gosh, this is super expensive. So it, it they're, they're not wrong. I mean, I, I can see where, I'm just surprised you didn't catch it. Like you're a good title person probably would have caught that when they were doing the, the deed search and whatever, and would have said, hey, by the way, did you notice these three things? Gotcha. Beautiful. Last thing, Andy, um, I just want to go over hitting cons of owning lake homes in Minnesota. Do you have some that come right to your head that maybe most don't think about? The cons of owning a lake home? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing is, is that everybody falls in love with the romance of having the lake home and going to the cabin. I mean, that's people that are from Minnesota. Everybody says we're going north or we're heading north this weekend or going up north. Um, that's kind of the, the phrase that's used here. So Everybody has that fantasy of let's go up north for the weekend. Um, now, when you get there, a lot of times, unless you have a maintenance plan in place, what the, the con of that would be is having where people don't realize how much maintenance there is. So you have your spring projects, which is putting the docks out, you know, maybe cleaning up the beach, uh, whatever. In the fall, you have all of the fall cleanup, the leaves, the taking the docks out, the winterizing of the home. If it's not a year round property, you have to winterize, right? So, um, so sometimes it's the maintenance. The other thing that I think that a lot of people don't realize is the carrying costs with those properties. So um, a lot of times they're not as, as efficient. So if it's an older cabin, it might cost you $1,000 a month to heat that in the winter versus, you know, if it was insulated properly, it could be a lot less than that. So I think a lot of people in that case will winterize their cabins and they don't use them because it's too expensive. Or, you know, uh, the other thing is taxes. A lot of times now these smaller municipalities, counties and cities are going in there and they're taxing as aggressively on values as they do in the twin cities or even even more aggressively so what's happening is all of a sudden you have a cabin and you spend a half a million dollars on a cabin and you might have six thousand dollars a year in uh, taxes and that's that's not uncommon so that kind of creeps up on some people too so we're like when chris and i were doing our wcco thing um back in the day we'd have people calling us all the time and asking us about cabins right and they'd say hey you know um i want my children to take my cabin over and we always would say to these people, you need to really have a contingency plan there because, you know, what people don't realize is something as simple to you as $6,000 a year in taxes and maintenance and whatever, all of a sudden it's a $12,000 a year maintenance for something they got for free. That child inheriting that property may not be able to afford that $12,000 a year. And so then it becomes a matter of, okay, how long do they hold on before they lose it? And you know what I'm saying? So it's like, those are the part of the, the uh, I think, the bigger estate planning and, um, you know, just use, use a, I, I, a lot of times a good family planning attorney um, will, will explain that. And then you have to look at each individual child too and decide, hey, well, my kids don't inherit this or are they inheriting a mess? And because I've seen it both ways where, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I had a family of 12 kids inherit a property and some of them wanted to keep it. Some of them wanted the money. Some of them uh, couldn't afford, uh, you know, even for the gas to drive up to the cabin. So it, it, you really have to look at each individual family's um, situation. I don't know if I answered that right, but. No, very good. All right, Andrew, let's, uh, 
Mr. Presky. Wrap this bad boy up. Hey, everyone, click that link there. Our websites are there. Full episodes. Give us a review. Uh, if you want to buy, sell in Minnesota, you know who to call and send in uh, your questions every week. Andy, anything important uh, right now or final words? Uh, I, I I just I wish for my I have my daughter down in uh, Ecuador right now. She's on a student. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, nursing trip, and there's a lot of civil danger right now. Yeah, and so they're there. I, I wish all of those kids the best. I pray for them every day. I mean, it's one of those things where you, uh, you know, you don't you feel safe until you're not, and then um, these kids are in, in pretty safe conditions. But boy, I'd sure rather have her home here. But you know, they're I was in the jacuzzi yesterday in the complex I'm staying in, and there was a dude that just flew in from Ecuador, and he said last week in his nice. You know, he's been an expat American there for like 10 years. His nice neighborhood, there was a, a car bomb, blew up a car. He's like, oh, my God, I'm getting out of here. But I assume they're not in the, the main city that the, the violence is going on. They're more in the village. Yeah, they're, they're in another city. But the thing is, is this, is it sounds like it's a more of a drug um, lord kind of battle with the local government than it is against the people. But, you know, who knows? Um, I, I just, Like I said, I just I wish her well, and I hope her safe travels home here in a couple of weeks. So. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that for sure, Andy. Awesome. I might, have to, I might have to send you over there to muscle some guys for me. See? I, I got connections, away, right? I connections all over in Latin America. I can make things happen. <laughs> all right, all right guys. Have a great day. You too. See ya. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.